1 Corinthians 15 is probably the most extensive teaching in the Christian scripture about resurrection. Paul is having to do teaching on resurrection here because he's countering the Gnostics who teach that there is no bodily resurrection, that the body is bad, therefore there is no way that Jesus had a body and no way that his body was raised, and therefore neither will we have a bodily resurrection. So that's one part of his argument as he tries to instruct about resurrection. The other side is really to the Jews in the church who have very little to no theological foundation for this idea of resurrection. It was a fairly new idea in Jewish theology. Uh, we had the concept of Sheol, as you know, in the Hebrew text, but the idea of resurrection had not yet quite taken hold, and so he's trying to help them get a hold of the fact that this is how God works. But despite the significant teaching on resurrection in chapter 15, the lectionary has us today focusing on those first 11 verses, which I think really become a powerful lesson about grace more than about resurrection. Grace is a concept that we talk a lot about as Christians, but it's not something that we often let seep deep into our beings. For most of us, it's not an everyday experience that we let transform how we envision ourselves and thus how we live. You see, grace runs contrary to most of our upbringing and most of our religious heritages. What they teach us is not usually grace. We're talking about works and be good and do this and do that and you need to be here and you need to be there and you need to work hard and you need to be good and all those kind of things. And so most of our religious heritage teaches us works, not grace. Even in the midst of places like Baptist, who say we are on grace and grace alone, much like the Lutherans. And yet grace is the very key to living our lives, to living them authentically aligned with who God created us to be, to move from, as John Claypool said, from seeing life in terms of acquisition to seeing it in terms of awareness. My, my guess is that for the majority of us, we are taught or we're taught that our lives take on meaning and success by what we acquire, what we achieve. Thus, many of us are drawn to the life of acquisition. The concept of grace is something we can talk about at church, but it's not something we internalize. We know it between our ears. We can define it in a heartbeat. But to quote the great and, and challenging preacher Howard Thurman, the other parts of me have not yet heard the word. Yes, we intellectually understand it, but it does not penetrate us. That's because grace is contrary to what we are taught and what we experience most often. We are taught that life is about competition. It is the key that we compete, that we do our best, that we achieve. Achievement comes through strenuous effort, and so we have to work hard. It comes through a noble work ethic, and our worth, our value, our quality is measured by our achievements. What have you done? What are you doing? What are you planning to do? We measure our life, our worth, by titles, by salaries, and by parking spaces. When I started working at United Way, uh, I, I was an entry-level employee, and so I knew how much I made, I knew how much our family needed, and so I could figure out how close I could park to the office. And so I parked, our office was at 9th and Olive at that time, I parked under the bridge where you might park on 64 for a Cardinals baseball game, and I would walk those 10 or 12 blocks. Not bad on a spring day or a fall day, but when it's raining and when it's cold, it wasn't great. But that was the place to be. But then I got a promotion, 
and I moved all the way up to Stadium Garage West, and now my walk was only about eight blocks. And then I got another promotion, and I moved within a couple of blocks of the office, and then we got an office that had a garage, and I got to come in the garage on the bottom floor, the lower level, and then I got another promotion, and the next thing you know, I'm on the first floor in the first slot, as though that's an achievement. And yet that's how we measured our career. My father would say to me, how close are you parking to the office, Gary? He knew that somehow that ranked with how I was doing. We have this strive to achieve. We, we strive to achieve because somehow we think where we park gives us some kind of prestige. It says something about us. Many of us are driven by a fear of failure. If I fail, I have no worth. And that limits us. We don't try. We don't do new things. We don't explore new worlds because if I fail, I'm a loser. That is a very limiting, less than satisfactory way to live, to be driven by fear of failure. We're also driven by that acquisition, and we will do bizarre things to achieve worth through acquisition. We'll ruin our health, we'll sacrifice our families, we'll pursue careers and define success activities with abandonment that ignores ourselves and our own well-being and the world around us. It is an exhausting way to live and one that is eventually doomed to failure. What happens when we can no longer perform? One of the saddest phone calls I ever had in my life, I was at United Way and I was asked to call a former CEO and ask him to do something for the organization, make some calls for us, and so I called him, and I never, I remember the, just the hollowness and the emptiness in this gentleman's voice when I said, would you call so-and-so? And he said, you know, Gary, I would like to, but the reality is no one returns my calls anymore. And you could hear the sense of failure in his life. He had been a CEO of a major firm in this town. If I called the firm, everyone would know it. And yet now he said, no one returns my calls. The feeling of the need to drive, to acquire worth, never lets up. It will exhaust us and use us up like a drug habit. We are only as good as our last fix or our last achievement. The results are we get exhausted. We get frustrated. We fall into despair and failure. We become that no one returns my calls anymore if we're not careful. Some among us are still driven. We're seeking that worth. We're seeking that value. We're driving as hard as we can. Others of us are wanting to remind you just who we used to be. It was important. Maybe you would return our calls. Some among us get depressed with this kind of life. It, it, it just, it's not working out the way we hoped. We're not getting those achievements that we thought we should have. And though we're still striving, it's just not working out for us. And every day it gets a little harder and a little harder. Others have just given up. We've accepted the fact that we feel like failures and that will continue to happen. And we try to figure out how to live with the emptiness and that frustration and put one foot in front of the other. That's life for so many people. In the midst of all that the world tells us it requires for us to have worth, rings the words of the Apostle Paul, about another way to live, the way of grace. The way of grace is the exact opposite of acquisition that teaches us that worth is somehow outside of us and must be brought in. The way of grace understands that worth is within us. By the gracious creation of God, I have worth. We just need to become aware of it, to free it up and let it out. We need to hear the gospel in all parts of our beings. Jesus said to us, you are the light. 
He did not say, now listen, if you really behave yourself and you work real hard and you try everything and you attend every service that they're going to have down at the synagogue, you are light. He didn't say we had to earn it to be, to be number one. He just simply said we're light. You are light. If we could come to believe, if we could come to be aware that our light is in us by virtue of God's creation, that beautiful light that we are is already there. We could let it shine. People could see it, and, and, and Jesus says people glorify God when they see who you're really created to be. Here is an essential reality we need to, under, need to understand. We are not emptiness to be filled from the outside by strenuous effort. We are fullness itself by the creative act of God. It is within us. Worth has been in us from the very beginning, not by virtue of what we make of ourselves, but by virtue of God calling us into being. The idea of worth in us by the very creation of God and the grace of that creation is a radical counterculture idea. If we can grasp it, we can turn the world upside down. Our worlds will turn upside down. We can escape being driven, except driven by that creative nature that God has put into us that lives out who we are, the excitement of that. There's no frustration in that. The apostle Paul said, look, I'm the least of all the apostles. I came to the party late. I actually persecuted the church. This is what was going on with me. I was driving to achieve. I was going to be the best Pharisee that there ever was. And in the midst of all that, I, I was the least. But I love these words. I call it Popeye theology. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You remember Popeye would say, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. That's what Paul is saying. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And that's good. And that's okay. Though I be the least, though I be late to the party, it's okay. God's work is in me. God's grace is working within me and not without effect. It is changing me. It is building me. It's creating me to be the very person God called me to be. I am what I am. And that's okay. In fact, that's better than okay. That's good. This idea is dangerous stuff. It'll free you up in ways you can't imagine. It'll make you independent. So much so that you will begin to live into the good work, perhaps, that God has created for you to do in God's world. To be that very person you are. So how do we get this grace? If it's so good, how do we get it? It's in us already. There's a Zen parable that I love. It's, it talks about a man looking for an ox. And in, 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 in uh, Buddhism, ox is really a, a symbol of awareness or enlightenment. And so this, this man is pursuing an ox looking, searching for it all over the place to finally become aware that, in fact, he's riding an ox while looking for an ox. That's a good Zen parable. Think about it for a while. A good Zen parable, looking for an ox while riding an ox. This is true for us. Grace is already here within us. God has given it to us through Jesus Christ. We need only become aware of it. Grace is a gift, not a reward. It comes to us by the virtue of our creation, Sam Keen, that author and philosopher, said, it comes with the territory or it doesn't come at all. It can be difficult for some to experience because we're so invested, we've been so taught that worth comes from what we do, from outside of us by our efforts. But there it is. It already is within you. Given by God in Christ, totally free of effort. 
It's like the ox you're already riding on. You just don't seem to know it and be aware of it. Life is about journeying, a journey to, to experience grace and grow each day in understanding what it means for you so that you can say, I am what I am and it is the grace of God and not without effect. Every day God is shaping me by his grace, making me more the person he created me to be. And whether that's like someone else or not doesn't matter because it's who God created me to be and therefore it is good. The journey can be awkward, it can be uneven, and it can be bumpy. No matter where you are, sometimes you worry about where you're parking in the garage. So it's a bumpy ride and one that we have to work out in our life as grace works out in us. Dr. Martin Luther King quoted a, 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 a preacher who had been a slave and these great words, and these are words of grace, I think, and the words went by that, that preacher was, we ain't what we want to be. We ain't what we're going to be. But thank God, we ain't what we was. It is God's grace at work in your life. Already there. Look down. You may be riding an ox. Amen.